relying too much on tools uh, is is a mistake. I think that you know it, that ends up with a lot of duplicate robotic content. Um, I think that's especially relevant now with AI tools. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salsas Your Soul. I'm your host, George Kassildis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Melanie Broder. Melanie is a writer living in Los Angeles. When she's not helping startups build their brands and express their ideas, she's working on her novel or jumping in the ocean. Melanie, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So I usually, as part of the intro, I usually, uh, you know, say a few things about the guest, uh, but I, I guess I will let you do that. Uh, can you please share a few things about you and your background uh, and what has brought you to where you are today? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I do love jumping in the ocean, but that's not exactly relevant to the audience today. So <laughs> I'm happy to, to dive a little bit deeper. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been working in SaaS for eight years now, and um, I kind of happened into it. Um, I my background's really in creative writing, and I started my career in book and magazine publishing. And um, I just sort of got into content in 2015 to see what it was all about. It was this sort of new thing, a new way for people, sort of with a writing or editing background to to be a part of the startup world and scene. So I was really keen on that. And um, so I, I moved out to San Francisco and joined um, a small startup called Padlet, which is not so small anymore. Um, and they're kind of in the ed tech, um, but also SaaS space. And um, after that, I worked at Animals, um, which is a content marketing agency. And after that, um, I worked at Slight, which is project Sorry, not project documentation software, um, which is focused mostly on um, or almost exclusively on B two B. So I have found a sweet spot in these um, sort of small to medium size uh, SaaS firms, and um, I mean, I do. I'll be the first to admit that you know my writing background doesn't make me the best technical marketer in the game, but um, I'm definitely like 
I've played to my strengths as a writer and editor and translator of ideas. So I think that my my ability to be successful or navigate this world has been through the ability to translate uh, complex ideas, whether it's from founders or about products, uh, into um, simple, easy to understand and engaging content. Having seen content through all these different lenses, working at the content marketing agency, then at the SaaS company, now as a freelancer, what do you think makes a content program successful? Uh, that's a tough question, and I feel like um, people are still trying to figure it out. Um, I think that there are a few things. Um, that I think that um, having buy-in and commitment from the stakeholders, the higher-ups at a company, the C-suite, um, is really important. I think that companies that don't sort of know what their product is or their value proposition is or their positioning is are not going to succeed with content. And I think relying on content to figure out what that is is, is a mistake. Um, and I think that, um, you know, a strategy behind marketing and behind growth in general um, beyond just acquisition uh, is, is really important to making content successful. Um, and then from the content manager end, I think uh, constant communication about the value, not only like what you're doing, but why you're doing it and the value you're delivering. Um, I think that that's super important to, to making a successful content program. Do you think that the value should only be communicated in terms of like revenue or pipeline generated or are there other ways in your experience to communicate the value of, uh, of content marketing? I think it really depends. I think you kind of have to read the room. <laughs> I mean, at times, you know, it's, revenue is really important. Like right now, revenue is super important, um, and companies are, you know, the economy is not as robust as it was two years ago. So, uh, I think the value is quite literal in this current environment. But in other in other moments, I mean, I think that like companies are more invested in building a brand or. Um, you know, making the founder a more prominent voice or um, or doing something that their competitors are not doing. And I think that those things are are more qualitative and, of course, important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that having a strong communication about the the growth potential or, you know, I mean, I think you, I don't want to ramble here, but, you know, talking talking about growth in terms of like, you know, this content led to this sales outcome um, is is always going to to be an advantage and a strength. I think that you know one thing that we, we are doing and it help, kind of helps because it takes a while until a con program starts like uh, paying dividends, right, and starts working and like we we can reap the benefits of our work and so on. What we do is that we try to like take it. To like different stages of 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 this growth and try to communicate small wins in each of these stages, right? Um, and I think that this can keep everyone excited because it takes a while and, until it, it starts kicking in, right? And so you, yeah. in the meantime, you have to have people uh, excited, especially the people who are making decisions about budgets and so on, um, and. Like in that context, communicating pretty much everything, right? Even from from the smallest thing, 
like someone said that on, on social media or uh, one of our salespeople used that uh, in one of the demo calls, which went well, even though it may haven't like led to a sale and so on. And so we, we try to do that. I don't know if that in your experience helps, um, but communicating small wins until we, we get to a point where like the, the, the content machine, let's say, starts working uh, is something I've, I've seen to, to be really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I said like, you know, content leading directly to sales outcomes. I mean, it's so rare that you can actually draw that line, um, you know, like, oh, like this, we published this piece of content last week and then next week someone, you know, visited that piece of content and clicked buy now. Like that's not necessarily how it works. You know, there's several touch points and uh, and all that. So I, I, I mean, I would walk that back a little bit, but um, at the same time, I think you're totally right about um, small wins. And, and I think that, that social media is really instrumental in that. Like it's, it's so easy to see an impact like that, you know, seeing a prominent founder share something or seeing something go viral on Hacker News or um, just, you know, get shared in a newsletter. Like, I think that those, every little bit counts. And um, especially if you're trying to be more visible, visible, excuse me, um, in, in the market. So we talked about what makes a con program successful, um, what makes it unsuccessful, or um, what are some mistakes that you see SaaS companies make when it comes to their content program? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's companies and content people make mistakes. Um, I think, I think from the company perspective, I think treating content as a luxury. Um, you know, I see we see right now, um, again, not to like be too, we want to focus on sort of, you know, evergreen, but it's hard to ignore the environment right now. But, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of companies are, you know, cutting back on content right now because it's seen as like, oh, this piece of entertainment um, as opposed to valuable education for for users and, um, and um you know, sales collateral for the product. Um, I think so treating content as a luxury, um, I think pivoting and changing niches constantly, like it does take a while to to build up um authority um and expertise. And I think that if you one day say that you're an expert in remote work and then the next day you say you're an expert in spreadsheets, like that's not gonna that's not gonna work for you. Um I think relying too much on tools uh is is a mistake i think that you know it that ends up with a lot of duplicate robotic content um i think that's especially relevant now with ai tools um i think sometimes companies go overboard on length long form everything um especially with blog content like it's just it's overkill to have everything be 2000 words plus like that's not necessary um I obviously have a lot of opinions on this, but I think lastly, like um, separating growth and SEO from like original content uh, is is a mistake. I don't. I think they they work together, and I don't think companies should have like this separate, like really creative brand content that nobody sees versus this SEO content that they kind of have to execute for growth and there's no spark or creativity or originality in it. So I hate when there's a separation between those two things. 
I would like to move to the next question, but to save time before I do that, I would like to ask your uh, like opinion on this sort of, it has to be 2000 words, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> mantra that we all used to, um, to subscribe to, or most of us used to subscribe to. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I just think that like, that is very much based on sort of a, a Google algorithm thing. And, you know, it's like the mo the longer an article is, the more authoritative it is. And I think we should think about, you know, other other ways that people are searching for information. Um, I mean, there's already like featured snippets or, or Google Voice and like nobody wants to have a 2000 word article read to them <laughs> if they're like asking Google or Siri, you know, what's what is X or how do I do this? Um, so I think that like you have to consider that not everybody's going to be digesting information in the same way and plan for the future in terms of, of content. Um, and yeah, the 2000 word thing is just, you can, you can make a point a lot quicker than that. And sometimes you do need an encyclopedia on something, but you know, make it clear that that's what you're doing and, and not just like explaining a really basic content, like what is customer acquisition co costs? Like that's, you know, that's 500 words at most, like probably could do it in a hundred words. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, my, my, my thoughts on this is that, uh, this whole thing, this, this benchmark, let's say was established by a study that was conducted, uh, sometime in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, uh, by a popular SEO blog. And it was a correlation study, like everything, right? You can't be certain about anything when it comes to organic search. And then this was used by like content people and SEO people as like the, the benchmark when it comes to, I want to see quality, but it's not like the fact that something is above a certain number of words doesn't mean that, you know, it's a it doesn't it's not indicative of its quality right but i think that this is where um this whole 2000 word thing started um next question i have for you um you mentioned blog content and one of the thoughts i've i've been having lately is the fact that we have been very focused the SaaS industry in general we have been very focused on the blog as the main vehicle for like publishing content. And I, I see some signs that, you know what, in the future, the blog will not be the main thing. It will be just one of the ways of like publishing content for, for SaaS companies and other uh, companies, I guess, uh, in other industries and verticals. Do you see that change? Or do you feel that the blog will be the, the main vehicle for like getting content out there? Um, I know I'm a big fan of blogs, but I, I definitely don't think that um, it's the only way to do content well. I think content is a broad term intentionally, like it's not writing. Like, you know, the term would be tech writing if, it, if that was it, um, you know, it's, it's content. So. I think that there's definitely going to be more diversity um, going forward. Um, I mean, I think right now the internet's still primarily a written a written format, um, but and I mean, especially for B two B 
SaaS. Like it's not like, um, you know, TikTok is the primary <laughs> channel that people are receiving information about, um, about B2B SaaS. Uh, it's kind of, you know, not appropriate for work. Um, at the same time, like, I think that SaaS companies um, need to play to their strength when it comes to to content. I mean, I see a lot of video companies doing video content because that makes sense. Um, you know, TLDV actually does do really good TikToks. Um, you know, I think other places, you know, have really invested in podcasts um, and in a way that makes sense for them. Um, I really like the company Oliva, which does mental health um, counseling for businesses. And they do a lot of great like sort of webinar and podcast uh, content because, I mean, it's talking to people about mental health, about personal stuff. And that really translates well to that, to those conversations. Um, so I think that like there's definitely going to be uh, proliferation of other types of content. I don't think that blogs are going to go away. And I think that even, you know, there are cycles of these things. It was like, so there were so many blogs and people got blog fatigue, but now there's going to be so many reels or there's going to be so many podcasts that people are going to get fatigued of that and wish that they could just go back to the days of Blogspot and Tumblr and just look at little blogs. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think the blog is going away, but definitely going to have other types. That's, that's good to know. Um, and I think this is a great segue to the next question I have for you, which is, I feel that we sort of equated the blog and blog content to content for a search audience in many cases, not in all cases. Do you see room for different content types and like different formats, something more, let's say original that doesn't necessarily have the goal of like, you know, targeting a keyword, getting organic visibility, getting, you know, clicks uh, and visits to organic search. Do you, do I think that other types of content will contribute to SEO? Uh, no, but I mean, we have been, as, as I see it, we, we were heavily focused on SEO content, right? Content for a search, uh, for a search audience. Uh, but I think that this is sort of not inefficient because it's obviously working for many companies, right? But there has to be more than that in a, in a let's say, um, in a successful content program, right? Mm -hmm. So my question is, do you think there is space, there is room for more content types beyond um, SEO content? And if, and if so, what could these content types be for SaaS companies? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I still, it's, it's a matter of filtering. I mean, it's like the more years that the internet is in existence, like the more content there is, and it's just harder and harder to filter out the stuff that you need. And Google is still sort of the number one filter uh, for stuff. I mean, even, you know, you open any browser and it's connected to Google or a search engine. Um, it's not, um, I mean, you discover content on social media platforms too. Um, and those seem to be the two main things. Nobody's sort of going directly to websites anymore. So that I don't think I still think SEO is going to be important for a really long time. I think it will evolve. I think, you know, Google is always changing and like, you know, eliminating cookies is one is a huge change that's coming coming to 
to search. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it will, it will always be, it will always be stuff. And you just, sorry. Oh, excuse me. Uh, you will always need to be creating content for a search audience. Um, but there's definitely like, I think, I don't know. I think with social, um, there are opportunities for more creative stuff to come to the surface. Um, but that being said, it still needs to be in terms of business or B2B, like it still needs to be professional and not just funny, not just memes. Like it has to be, you know, substantive and useful. So that makes sense. Uh, thoughts on content that's created that has the objective, um, uh, of establishing either like a person inside the company or the company as the thought leader, uh, in that space. Uh, what, what are your, like people refer to this as thought leadership component, but I do not subscribe to that term because thought, is, thought leadership is the objective. It's not like, you can't say that this is thought leadership component. Like I do not subscribe to that, but I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I've always called it thought leadership content, but it's really kind of just strong opinion content um, that comes from an individual person. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that a thought leadership strategy or goal has to be sort of centered around some one person being the voice of, of the brand or of the company. I think it's sort of like a, you have to have, you know, whether it's a founder or CEO or, or head of marketing or um, head of product um, person being willing to to step into the role of thought leader because the point of thought leadership is that it it's original and it's dynamic and it's human um and that that can only come from you know a single person it's not like thought leadership content isn't going to come from a brand so it has to be in conjunction with the sort of personal brand of the person produ producing it even if there's a ghostwriter behind it do you think though that this should only um, come, let's say, even if it's ghost written, but should it come only from the higher, uh, let's say, uh, ranks in a, in a company, CEO or I don't know, uh, C level, or we could say that, you know what, we try to build different people inside the company, like from customer success, from products, from sales, um, and try to develop them as like the, the person from that company who talks about these things. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I definitely see a lot more companies trying to do that now with, um, you know, like the head of departments stepping into to the role of thought leader on their particular topic. I, I mean, I think what's, you know, in an ideal world, everybody could speak out on topics that they have experience with and, you know, they're free to do so. I, like, I, I think, unfortunately, in terms of like magnifying that audience and um, building authority, it's just like C-suite um, or, you know, those titles sort of convey experience um, and leadership in a way that just makes people want to pay attention more and, and give them credit um, for the things that they say. Um, so... That yeah, sense. everybody can be a thought leader, but it's a lot easier to sort of start with people who are leaders to begin with. That makes sense. One thing that we've encountered as an, I'm talking of as, as an agency now, right? As an agency, uh, one thing we, we've noticed is that 
in general, companies are sort of hesitant when it comes to outsourcing such content, such, like content that's, that has the objective of like establishing um, that company as, as a thought leader in the space or people from that company, right? Uh, since we are talking about specific people from the company. Have you seen that? I mean, they are okay outsourcing like content for a search audience, but it seems to me that companies are sort of have this notion that, you know what, anything that's more like thought leadership uh, like should be produced in-house because we know and you don't. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I think it sort of goes back to the last question where we sort of had to establish a definition for thought leadership. I think every company nowadays, you know, it's it's been a hot topic or term and every company's like, oh, we need thought leadership content, but they sort of don't know what it is or they think it's just a founder posting on LinkedIn or they think it's just a, a blog that's like really opinionated. Um, and I think that uh, the question of like who can write it uh, is... I mean, anybody can write it. Like, I, I think, I think agencies are great for thought leadership or or freelancers. Um, you know, I write thought leadership content for people um, because it's it's about conveying the ideas. Like, and I think that whoever can can do that best should be writing it. I don't think every technical founder. I think most technical founders are not natural writers. Um, I think that they're communicators and they you know, they know how to build things out of ideas, but maybe, you know, talking about it isn't necessarily their strong suit. So I think you do need to sort of work closely with the person whose voice it's being presented in because, you know, people can smell bullshit um, from a mile away um, or they can smell, you know, a writer that's just, you know, you don't want like a necessarily a very junior person writing about, you know, I don't know, very complex topics. But if if the writer or the agency spends a lot of time with the founder or the CEO and, you know, is able to sort of understand where they're coming from and they're thinking behind things and then translate that into, you know, a piece of content, I think that like outsourcing, it's totally... It might even be better. Yeah. I agree with you, and uh, I, I would like people. I would like people to outsource and cover this outsource more of this uh, this stuff because, I mean, especially after a while, when we work with a company, you know, for six months or twelve months, whatever. I mean, we we get a pretty decent understanding of like the audience. Um, maybe not like the exact ideas or thoughts that the founder has or the CEO of the company has, right? Uh, but I mean, if there is a system where you interview that person and there is a, an open dialogue between like, you know, the, the company and uh, the, the, the agency or the freelancer, I guess we can like retrieve these ideas and we can transform them into, uh, or like translate them into great content, right? I would like to go back to um, SEO content for a minute and ask your thoughts on the extra E uh, that Google added to EAT, um, which of course stands for experience. Um, and my question to you is how can companies demonstrate experience through their content? 
it allows like a bit more diversity in terms of who gets to be an expert. I think that like, um, you know, you don't want to necessarily read content from someone that doesn't have any experience in in a certain field or a certain topic. Um, but the, you know, like you don't want to read fitness content from someone who's never published anything on on fitness in the past. Um, but that doesn't mean that they, they're necessarily like the CEO of a fitness company. So I think it actually is is a really good thing for the content industry um, because there's a lot of writers out there who who have a lot of experience, but not necessarily like have been like labeled uh, the experts. And I think that like experts may be more focused on brand and an experience can be more flexible for individuals. In that example, though, should the person writing the con be fit themselves? I mean, <laughs> well, who can judge that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, who can judge? That's right. But I mean, like if, if we think about it in SaaS terms, it's like me reading a piece of content uh, by uh, like email mark by an email marketing software. And I'm reading tips by someone who has never sent a, an email marketing, you know, campaign, never practiced what they are like basically trying to educate me on, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's a good point. And I and I do think there is like a lot of bad content out there written by, you know, and it's not the writer's fault. They've been sort of assigned um stuff that's out of their their depth. Um but at the same time, I think that like it's been really rigid in terms of, you know, determining who has expertise and and it can be wrong. Uh, you know, expertise can be or experience can be, you know, just having a personal experience. And I think that like that's a little bit hard to convey algorithmically. <laughs> yeah, because in uh, particularly, especially for SaaS, that would mean that everyone every single one of us who let's say tries to write, write a piece of content like well we have to be reviewers we have to actually go on and use the product right which is not easy right let's say you're creating a, a listicle without alternatives i can't imagine how you can actually go and try try all of them yeah. unless we are talking about like we will not review 10 we will review three right and we will actually use them but still there are there are obstacles in the example of email marketing i mean how can you use three different email marketing software it's it's very difficult because you have to build or import a list there you have to send an email and so on this comes only with years of experience after you've switched yeah. different solutions i mean i think i'm i'm often asked to write about um you know like CRMs, um, Salesforce, HubSpot, you know, and I think that there are people whose whole whole careers have been, you know, based around these tools and they're they're the ones maybe not necessarily reading, you know, how to do basic stuff on them, but you know, they if um they're comparing a new CRM to the the ones that they have experience with, you know, you're going to have to, you know, prove that that you know how it works in a way that um, that communicates that to them. I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's sort of like if you're writing for an expert audience, you you have to have the expertise to back it and experience to back it up. Um, 
but you know, if you're writing more introductory stuff about email marketing, um, then you don't necessarily have to. Um, but I mean, it's true. I think that like there could generally be less content out there and it would be great if, you know, people write about things they know about. I don't, I don't know why we would write about things that we don't know about. That's a good question. And I guess can like, it's a perfect way for me to move to my next question, which is, uh, around AI content. It seems, to, it seems, it seems to me that right now the dust was kind of settled and it seems to me that AI content may not be the thing that we all thought, you know, would be, but regardless of what I think, I would like to hear your thoughts on AI content. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it has, the hype has calmed down a little bit. Um, at, at, that doesn't minimize how exciting or revolutionary of a technology it is um, and how much people need to still pay attention to it. Um, I think I think for content, it's a really useful tool. It's a, I already use it as like a, a partner in terms of brainstorming and outlining. I think it's really great for structuring ideas. I think a lot of times you have so much information that it can be hard to to organize it into a way that's um, legible to to the audience. And I think that that's a big part of creating content. And, you know, honestly, like also like you would get there eventually, but it's just a lot faster. And, you know, with SaaS content, you're often producing two, three pieces a week. <laughs> and so I think that, um, you know, having that that partner there that can sort of bounce ideas off of you or make your paragraph sound a little bit cleaner. Like, I think it's it's great. I, I think primarily the use case for it now is is like editing more than more than writing. Like it's it's not going to give you reliably good original ideas. But if you have the idea pretty far along, like it can help you take it to that next level. I agree with you that uh, editing maybe an interesting use case for uh, for AI and I also agree that it's a it's a tool right it's a tool um, but you know regardless of all the buzz around it especially like a few months ago mm-hmm. I I don't see it as something that will replace humans and if it does I mean I suppose that for us as an agency, that would be the very bottom of like the market, mm. which like these are companies that would not work with us with or without AI, it doesn't matter, right? So they can, they may as well use AI content. Who is going to consume that content and who is going to like, and how the company will benefit from it? I don't know. I have a big question mark there. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely see it like that, but also for companies that do have a more established content function and are willing to invest in it, there's always going to be holes that you need to fill sort of with, you know, if you're an email marketing company, there's certain basic questions that you're going to have to answer that, you know, are sort of above and beyond or below uh, what the content team needs to focus on in terms of, you know, like marketing goals. But there's still going to be people who are going to be like, you know, what is... um, 
what's a DNS? You know, like that's like going to be a question that that people have, and that's fine. Um, use the AI to answer those questions. That makes sense. Um, second to last question I have for you: What do you think the future holds for uh, SaaS companies when it comes to content marketing and SEO? Hmm. Yeah, I. I really would like to be optimistic about it and and see that I, I sort of talked how there's come a divide between brand or thought leadership content and SEO content. Um, and you talked about that as well. I, I think it's like a, a trend where we see that content has been a bit divorced from growth or like, you know, people see SEO content as not, you know, real creative stuff, um, which in a lot of cases it's not anymore. And I think that the future will be that there will be this branded content that's that's more creative and, you know, the stuff that you see more from B2C companies. And and there was talk about this, you know, every every SaaS company should be a media company. And I don't think it's that necessarily, but I do think that that value can be conveyed in so many different ways. Um, and I think that brand as, you know, more and more companies proliferate will become more and more important. And I think that, you know, originality and authenticity and humanity will be, will be rewarded. And that's, I mean, that's, I don't think the world needs more content that was generated by robots. Um, I think that I think that companies will see that in order to last forever, um, that they're they have to create stuff that will last, and there's no shortcuts to that. I think that's a great way to close this episode. Um, last question: Where can people find out more about you and uh, get in touch? Uh, yeah. Um, so my website, uh, melaniebroder.com is, is a great way to reach me. There's a contact form there. Um, you can see a bit of my work there. Also LinkedIn. I'm, I'm there, uh, Melanie Broder on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to follow or add, um, would love to chat. That's great. Thank you very much. Madam. Thank you. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and Analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahers.com AWT and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.